You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. And turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. I'm going to read a few verses in Galatians 5, and then we're going to pray. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke, to a yoke of slavery. And look down at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, we come to you to hear from you. We pray that you would meet with us pray that we would experience and walk and live out the freedom that your son has purchased on our behalf. May our time here help us move to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When my wife Krista was a senior in college, she had a project that she was doing on the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. So to support her, I decided to read that wonderful book. Perhaps you know the story. A good man named Edmond Dantes is wrongfully imprisoned for 14 years because three enemies had it out for him. And while languishing away in prison, Edmond learns of a treasure. Upon his escape, he follows the map and finds an enormous fortune. And I'll let you read the rest, but what I want to highlight this morning is that when he takes hold of that fortune, he has a newfound freedom. Not only does he have this freedom from prison, but now he has a freedom that comes with unlimited resources. So Edmund has a choice, a decision of what to do with his freedom. For him, it's either revenge or walking away. What Paul says in Galatians 5 is something similar faces every believer. Those in Christ have a newfound freedom in him. Now the question is, what are they going to do with the freedom they have? And that leads us to a few questions facing you, perhaps, in our text this morning. If you're here this morning exploring Christianity, then the question facing you is, are you experiencing freedom in your life? Are you really free? And I hope today we'll explore how you can find freedom in the gospel. There are also questions that face those of us who are in Christ. Like, are you walking in your freedom? In what I'll call gospel freedom this morning. Or, what are you using your gospel freedom for? 
Because one of the things we'll discover is that gospel freedom is not just freedom from something, but it's also freedom to something. Now, we're jumping into the end of the book of Galatians, so we should give maybe a little bit of an overview of where we are in this book. Galatians has been called the charter of freedom, and there's good reason to that. This letter is about how a person is justified through faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. Your good works are not enough to attain salvation. The Apostle Paul defends his gospel throughout the letter as the only gospel. There's no other way to approach God. He argues against the theology of the Judaizers, which was a group in the church, insisting that the Gentiles should follow Jewish laws to be saved. In response, Paul wants his readers to realize that salvation comes apart from the law, and adding extra biblical requirements or law-keeping to the gospel is a departure from the gospel. The latter half of the letter uh, has to do with how believers then live out their Christian life. How do Christians grow? And the answer is they grow the same way that they became Christians, by faith. By believing in God's promises and through his spirit. So like justification, growing in Christ is not done by law keeping, for believers are free from the law. In our chapter, chapter 5, Paul is warning believers not to use their gospel freedom from the law to then gratify the lusts of the flesh. Instead, believers should walk by the Spirit, verse 16. And the verses we just read, verses 13 and 15, are right in the middle of his argument. And what we'll find is this, that gospel freedom leads to loving community. Gospel freedom, your gospel freedom, leads to a loving community. And my aim this morning is that we'll all exit with a greater understanding of our freedom in Christ and how it moves us to be a loving faith family. What I want you to see is that gospel leads to loving community, and there's three marks that I think Paul uh, uses to make that clear in our text. So there's three marks. The first one I want you to see is the call of gospel freedom, and that's in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, or brothers and sisters. We just read a similar statement, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Paul tells us this is something that Christ has accomplished. Christ set you free for something, for freedom. Our Christian calling is one of freedom. So when God called you to be saved, he called you out of slavery, out of chains, out of darkness. He called you to freedom. John 8, 36. For if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom then is a result of the cross work of Jesus Christ. Chains are gone, prisoners set free. It's one of the benefits of the gospel where you experience this new realm, a place of grateful love and rest. Whereas one writer puts it, you are invited to roam about freely in a new country, delighting in its treasures and making full use of its opportunities. And that's what we're calling gospel freedom. So I'd like to consider just for a moment gospel freedom in a little bit more detail uh, this morning. 
And I want to do that with three elements of gospel freedom. Number one, first element, Jesus gives us freedom from what we deserve. Jesus gives us freedom from what we deserve. We could call this freedom of consequence. We deserve wrath, but Christ frees us from that wrath. We deserve slavery to sin, but Christ gives us freedom over sin. We deserve death. Christ gives us freedom over death. We deserve hell. Christ gives us freedom from hell. The work of Christ is our justification before God. And this is what we discover in Galatians 2.16. Paul says, we know that a person is not justified, not made right before God by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he adds, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You were once under the law and under God's wrath, but Christ has delivered you from the punishment that you deserved. Your objective guilt has been taken away. You receive instant pardon. With one simple stroke, your fetters are broken away. That's also what I draw from Galatians 1.4, where Paul says Jesus gave himself for our sins, to free us from our sins. And how did he do it? He did it by redeeming us, by rescuing us, by loving us so much that he gave himself for us. And Galatians 3.13 says that he took our place on the cross, died the death we deserve because of sin, and freed us from the curse of the law. Listen what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So have you considered that you are no longer under the law or subject to sin? You have been set free from sin. It means you're no longer guilty no longer under the burden, the weight to be right with God based on your own actions, your own obedience. This is no longer the case for believers. They enjoy freedom in the gospel, a freedom of consequence. That's the first element. The second element is Jesus gives us freedom from our guilty conscience. Jesus gives us freedom from our guilty conscience. This is what Martin Luther calls the freedom of conscience. It comes by being completely forgiven by the finished work on the cross. It's freedom from guilt, the guilt of all your sins, all of them. As a result, you have this freedom of conscience, having your heart cleansed and purified from a guilty conscience, Hebrews says. It's here where we lose all our guilty stains, as the hymn says. If Christ made atonement for your sins, then there is nothing left to condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We just sang it. All that you have, have owed your debt has been paid on the cross down to the last penny. Many of you saw the picture of Amy Coney Barrett uh, holding up a blank notebook during the confirmation uh, this week, which was a brilliant moment. And maybe you saw all the subsequent memes throughout the week. Well, if there was a meme related, that meme related to the freedom, it would be a picture of her with that notebook saying, sins left on the Christian account. It's because it's none. It's blank. You are free because of the cross. You are no longer guilty. Completely pardoned, your sins blotted out. So you have freedom of conscience, freedom of consequence, and third, 
The third element of this freedom, gospel freedom, is that Jesus gives us freedom from sin's power. Freedom from sin's power. And that's a freedom of deliverance. See, once you were slaves to sin, but now you are no longer slaves to sin. You were delivered from the bondage of sin through being united to Jesus in his death. So the reign and tyranny of sin is over. It's finished. The light has dawned. The power of sin no longer can rule over you. It's completely and utterly been destroyed by the cross of Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says in Romans 6. You are dead to sin and alive to God. He continues in Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters, the beauty of the gospel, of this gospel freedom, is now you have the resurrection power of Christ in you to defeat and kill patterns of sin in your life. And this is something not wholly of works, but that you have to believe by faith. Which is a big part of what Paul is arguing as you read through the latter half of Galatians. Remember what he says in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, having been justified, and having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. No. Just as we became believers by faith, so too we walk the Christian life by faith. And that's the rest of Galatians 5, where he explains how indwelling spirit enables us to kill sin in our lives. This is the gospel freedom believers experience, a freedom of consequence, a freedom of conscience, and a freedom of deliverance. And it's all because of what Christ has done. He is the one that has secured this freedom. That's how it's, the assurance is in Christ. So if you come here with sin, the grace of God can transform your heart. He can make sin bitter and he can make holiness sweet. So what's the picture? Well, imagine for a moment you're in a dark, damp dungeon imprisoned without hope of escape. You're on death row. You, you'll never see the outside of your cell again. And the fact of the matter is, you belong there. The punishment fits the crime, and there's nothing you can do. You've rebelled against the law of the, the Lord of the land, and so there's nothing you can do. You're stuck in prison. And suddenly the Lord comes, opens up the door, and says, you can walk. My son has taken your place, died for you, paid your penalty. You are free. What do you think he feels, that person feels in that moment? That's what freedom in Christ feels like. It's a new day. The chains are gone. The guilt is gone. So a couple questions to consider then this morning. What if you're here and you don't know Jesus? You haven't experienced this freedom. The question is, would you turn to Christ today and find it in him? Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Take this opportunity this morning. There's freedom for a look at the Savior. Is your conscience troubled? You see, there's, your new life can start right now. 
with a conscience freed from regret over past sins and freed from fear over, future, over the future. You can find rest for your soul, a rest that truly satisfies and settles your troubled conscience with peace through Christ. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's gospel freedom. And I want you to know that gospel freedom this morning. If you don't know it, confess your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For those who are in Christ, are you enjoying your freedom? Reality is, Christ wants you to enjoy your freedom. That's what he wants for you. That's why he purchased it, so that you could walk free. Christ wants that for you this morning. Now, you can't lose your freedom objectively, but you can lose it functionally. You see that in verse 1. That's what Paul hints at. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says you can fall back into the old way of slavery to the law and the flesh. So don't turn back. He says, do you wish, in in Galatians 4, 9, he says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again? Why would you climb back into that dungeon after having been set free? You know, it's funny, my daughter, Lily, it's almost two, and we've been in this process of transi- transitioning her to a toddler bed, uh, which has been fun. And um, she did this thing for a while where she didn't quite understand that she could get out of the bed, which is somewhat nice, but also not as nice when she's crying, sitting in her toddler bed, as if she is sitting in the crib. Sadly, I fear that some of us live our Christian lives that way. We live stuck in defeat, falling prey to our sinful patterns as if sin still has some dominion, as if the walls of the crib are still up around us. So here's the hope you need then. This is the good news. Maybe sin has dogged you all the way into the church this morning. Hear these words from Paul, you are free. So no longer, sin has no longer any power over you. The old hymn says, I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. That on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. So what is Paul saying? He's saying you've obtained freedom in Christ. Your conscience is clear before God. You've been saved. Christ is your life. You know, law, sin, death, they no longer have power over you. They can't lead you back into captivity or despair. And they cannot hurt you. You're free from them. Now you are called to be careful not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And that leads us to number two, the second mark. So you have the call of gospel freedom. And number two, you have the purpose of gospel freedom. The purpose of gospel freedom. And this is what is said next. This is what we find that Paul says next. And it's probably the most striking thing he says And it's this, the cross again doesn't free you just from something, it also frees you to something. That's the point I think Paul is making with the rest of verse 13. Freedom does have a purpose. 
And he does this by, he, he does this, uh, he explains his purpose in two ways. He explains the negative side and the positive side. So I want to look at the negative first. Negatively, what freedom in Christ is not. What we soon realize is that you can use your freedom to selfishly indulge in sin. Look down at the phrase there, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So this freedom we have in Christ is not to be used to serve ourselves. This is what again is said in verse one with not submitting again to a yoke of slavery. So as a Christian, this gospel freedom is not that I am free to do whatever I want and whatever seems right to me. So how then do we use this freedom? Well, it's not on yourself. Paul says that's not freedom. That's slavery. And it's important to remember that sin always enslaves you. It may promise freedom, but in the end it delivers guilt and shame. In his book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg recounts a story about Angie Angie Bachman, a mom who on the side would go to the casino and gamble while her kids were off at school. She said she considered it kind of like a job. And uh, she was very disciplined at first, but as tension grew in her family and she began to go to the casino more regularly, you can kind of tell what happened. Now, she did play smart, but she also got really good. So what she did was set down some rules for herself. Sometimes she lost, but for her, that was just part of the game. And over time, she started to lose more and more, but since the casino kept track of her losings, she didn't. One summer, she borrowed money from her parents, and she admitted that the problem began taking over her life. At At one moment, it was fun, and the next, it was uncontrollable. By the end of the summer, her debts were up to $20,000, but she was able to keep it from her husband until one day she confessed and they filed for bankruptcy. But unfortunately, that was not the end. A few years later, on a whim, passing a casino, she walked in. In the end, she lost everything, ruined her life and her husband's, throwing away hundreds of thousands of dollars. On one night alone, she lost a quarter of a million dollars. She even gambled away a line of credits on her home without her husband knowing. The promise of winning, the idea that she could quit before it gets worse, kept her going. Every time she promised this time would be different. And by the end, she wrote these words, I felt like I couldn't say no. Do you see the connection? Do you see how sin works just like that in us? It promises freedom, but in the end, it delivers slavery, capturing us back into the former habits of our old life. Paul says, do not submit again to that yoke of slavery. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Or as Peter would put it like this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as this cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. So that's the negative side of of our purpose and freedom. What's the positive? The positive, what freedom in Christ is. And that's at the end of verse 13. 
And that is you can use your freedom to lovingly serve other believers. Look what he says. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The word serve here is actually from the same word group as slavery in verse one. So you could say it like this. Uh, through love, slave away for one another. Now, this is what some call the paradox of freedom or the essence of freedom. And what is the paradox? It's that freedom is really a new slavery. Paul calls it a slavery to righteousness in Romans 6. See, it's not only freedom from something, but it's freedom to, it's freedom to something. It's freedom to love. Not freedom to do whatever you want. And if you want to experience freedom, then what do you do? Through love, you serve one another. And it's here that you find lasting freedom. Because your loving service is not just part of your freedom. Your loving service is your freedom. In loving others, you are free. As Disney's Mandalorian would say, this is the way. Put your freedom to use in lovingly serving others. Free, yet a slave. Now, it's interesting, notice how the Bible doesn't give us a third way here. Sometimes that happens, but here we don't have a third way. You're either submitting yourself to sin as a slave or submitting yourself to righteousness as a slave. Now, this is a choice that meets us at every turn. Who will I serve? Because the Bible says that you cannot serve two masters. And unfortunately, our natural inclination in our heart is towards the flesh. That's what the Bible says. As you are returning to the very things that you were saved from. Remember your freedom. Remember Christ. Turn back to him and lovingly serve others. Because, as one commentator put it, because there is a slavery of perfect freedom. And where do we find the ultimate example of this? Well, of course, it's in Jesus himself. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equ count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point, to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. See, Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. And yet, you know what? What does Isaiah call him? The suffering servant. Christ's freedom worked itself out in that he could completely give of himself for others. Galatians 2.20, he gave himself up for us. And he did this, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. And just remember John 13. He rose from supper, laid aside his his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Pouring water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet. So Jesus is an example of living out our freedom. He now intercedes for you. 
He knows what it's he knows what it is like to serve in this way. He knows what you face. Jesus knows what it means to live free in service to others. And he is the one who set you free. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Well, if you're a believer here today, it means that your life should be marked by freedom, which means your life should be marked by loving service. And that could look a thousand different ways. It could be showing compassion to those who are struggling, reaching out to a brother and sister maybe you haven't seen in a while, picking up groceries, lending a hand, and we could go on and on and on. But what about when your plans are interrupted? You know, we were at a conf- pastor's conference, Pillar's pastor conference this past week, and our flight on Thursday morning was an early morning flight. And as we're getting on this plane, Aaron, who was sitting next to me, I had an aisle seat. Aaron said, you know what I'm going to do on this flight? I'm going to sleep the whole flight. Well, guess who wanted to talk? Sure enough, his, the person sitting right next to him wanted to talk the entire flight. And what did Aaron do? The entire flight, he shared the gospel with him. Even after the flight, they like went out and talked in the hallway. He used his freedom to serve this person. That's gospel freedom. And that leads us to our third mark. So we've seen the call of gospel freedom and the purpose of gospel freedom. And number three, we see the result of gospel freedom the result of gospel freedom. So I've said that the gospel freedom leads us to loving community. Now here, this is where we go next. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What is the result of gospel freedom? Well, it's this. As a believer, you love others and fulfill the law of Christ. That's what he just said. In one word, it's summed up. The whole law is fulfilled in that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why does Paul quote the law here? It's because God is the one who defines what love means. And we find it in his law. You see, love is the end of the whole law. It's its goal, and the result of the law is love. So how does this work itself out in our community, in church, here at Redeemer? Well, we said again, freedom leads to a loving community. Well, what does it look like? Well, Paul gives the opposite of what it looks like. Um, That is, but if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So you can just picture that. I, again, you know, I have a daughter, so Beauty and the Beast, Belle's surrounded by all those wolves devouring, you know, each other in the fight. And Beauty and the Beast, it's kind of like that. It's a pack of wild animals that are just chewing and gnawing on one another. It's tooth and claw. And the picture is all, it's, it's animals living by the law of the jungle. And you notice that it's never satisfied. It goes until it consumes everyone. 
Do not watch out lest you be consumed. And Paul adds in verse 26 that they also were growing conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. So you can tell um, that this definitely didn't look like a loving community. So what do we take away from Paul's words here? Well, we know from Romans 7 that the law is good. You know, Paul spent the whole letter saying you're not under the law. And then suddenly, when we're talking about freedom, he brings up the law. Well, in Romans 7, he says law is good. So gospel freedom doesn't abolish the law. It fulfills it. And that's a key word in verse 14. Romans 8, listen to verse 3 and 4. Paul says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the question is, what is the role of the law in the life of a Christian? It's not that we're free to determine our own ethics, our own behavior, doing whatever is right in our own eyes. Nope, it is, as one writer says, the gospel frees us from the law for the law. In other words, the gospel gives us a new heart and a grateful love as a motive, while the law provides the direction to love God. So how do you think of the commandments of Scripture? I think we tend to think about the commandments or rules in the Bible as restrictive to our freedoms, as legalistic almost in and of themselves, but the truth is actually the opposite. The problem is not in the commands, but it's in our hearts and our motivations. So it is with gospel freedom. Gospel freedom provides the incentive to obedience, and that is grateful love. Not only that, we talked about sin's no, sin no longer has power over you. Gospel freedom gives the strength to live out uh, the commands of Scripture through the Spirit who enables, which is what he's going to address in the next paragraph. And as we saw earlier, we are given the example of serving in love, loving our neighbors as ourselves, is really living like Christ. So what does it mean for believers? It means that what you want to do matches up with what you ought to do. They become the same. Obedience then becomes the natural expression of your heart. So you no longer look at the law as burdensome, but as a joy. Because it expresses how you can come to be like Jesus Christ the one who loved and followed the law. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, to, to the renewed man it is a privilege to receive a command from the Lord whom he serves. That's what it is, the Lord commanding us. And it is a great grace to have the will and the power to obey it. So what's the result of gospel freedom in Galatia? It is that they get along. Their community is marked not by fighting or anger or resentment, but love. You see, the sign of love is that members of a church get along with one another. That's the final mark, and it's the result of gospel freedom. It's where Paul's been driving this whole time. So Paul in these verses in Galatians has shown us three marks of gospel freedom. Gospel freedom is a reality 
something that you've been called to, and it's, a pur- its purpose is clear, and that is to serve one another in love, not use it as an opportunity for the flesh. And that love results in unity and peace in the body of Christ. So have you experienced this freedom in your life? Are you walking right now in the freedom that Christ provides? And now to us, Redeemer Faith family, is our church characterized by love? What do we show the world when they look at our interactions? Are you committed to building up Redeemer, encouraging? Or in some way or another, are you encouraging its destruction? How sad is it when a church bites and devours one another and is set on destroying the unity of the body? But that's not where gospel freedom leads us. If we rightly understand our freedom in Christ, then we use our freedom to love and serve those who we meet with every Sunday. Do you remember the first two commitments to our church covenant? The first one, we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We've committed, if you're a member, you've committed to work for this unity. And then also, we will walk together in brotherly love. This is our calling. This is what we've committed to do through love, serve one another. But it's also our witness. For it's Jesus who said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love, if you have love for one another. Are you working to that end this this morning? Are you praying to that end? That when the world sees Redeemer Bible Church, they see people who love each other and walk and live in gospel freedom. Let's pray.